Let's talk alcohol. Balancing the risk and benefits of drinking is constantly being discussed in the media. In today's episode, we look at how alcohol may affect your mental wellness. Is drinking a glass of wine while cooking dinner helpful or harmful? Could your girls' night out be impacting your mental wellness over the following few days? And how much really is too much when it comes to mental health? We'll also share our mom truth moment and tell you what we actually do. Let's get to it. Welcome to this week's episode. We're back. We had initially planned it to be a little bit bigger than what today is, and we dialed it back. So today we're talking all about alcohol, and we had originally planned to talk about vices in general, so alcohol, caffeine, smoking. Yeah. But this turned out to be a little bigger than we thought. And I I think some of this stuff we're going to share today is going to surprise people, I think, well, I'm just assuming a lot of people may assume that since we're dietitians, we're going to tell them to cut out all the alcohol. You can rest assured we're not going to do that. But we are going to tell you what the research says because this has been a really, and I hope this doesn't sound, I don't sound like a, a downer, um, but this has been a really interesting one for us to research. I think it's made us look a little closer at why we drink sometimes or why we pour that glass of wine at 5 o'clock maybe look a little closer at potential effects and I mean it's been a good thing yeah I think it's just it's given us like I want to say once we looked at the research once we sat down and we talked through it it kind of gave us like kind of like for lack of a better word action items that we want to implement when it comes to our own personal enjoyment of alcohol right like we might not we may or may not make some changes, but we kind of are like, okay, we want to be more mindful. We want to, now we better understand, you know, how it may help or hinder our own mental wellness. Well, and awareness is kind of the first step to changing things. And like, I'm probably going to go pour a glass of wine after we record this, this afternoon, once I get back to Tuscaloosa. Yes. And, but I'm going to, I'm much more aware that I don't know I may not we'll see but I think that that you I mean that that's like it was all about awareness for us when we yeah, started talking through the research it's just good to be it's all about awareness and how you are using the alcohol and here's a kind of a spoiler not I mean I was wasn't sure what to expect when we started looking at the research not all of it is bad no that, no there's some we're going to tell you there's some benefits now and there are some surprising associations for lack of a a better way to put it like there are some surprising associations between why alcohol may be good or why it may not be good yeah but yes okay well let's get some stuff first out of the way and kind of define the kind of drinking that we are talking about well first let's say like uh alcohol abuse and dependence Mm -hmm. is actually a part of like it's included in mental health conditions yes like it's in the dsm-4 it's in the dsm-5 like it is actually it is a mental health condition so that's number one it's under the mental health umbrella and i don't know i think sometimes people look at mental health and addiction or abuse of substance as two separate things or maybe not under the mental health umbrella but it is under there and if people have an interest in us coming back to looking at closer at addiction that type of thing, we can um, let us know and we can look at that for an episode down the road. 
But today we're talking about more casual, more moderate drinking and drinking among those without a personal or family history of abuse or dependency. So we, we just want to put that out there. Right, right. We, yeah, we are talking about moderate drinking and even some light drinking just based on the research and how they've characterized, and when I say they, I mean like the researchers and the studies. We know them personally. Yeah, we know <laughs> I wish. Sometimes, maybe not. Um, how they've characterized drinking. Yeah. And also, uh, one other thing I want to put out there, we are not advocating for someone to start drinking if they are not a current drinker, even when we talk about some positive associations between alcohol and mental wellness. We're not advocating that either. Right. And they say that even when you look at some of the other potential health benefits of drinking alcohol, that they say, like, look, if you are a non-drinker, you just stay that way. Yeah. Don't start even adding like alcohol. Health, right. Because you wine. think, exactly, mm-hmm. that it could, it could be beneficial to you. Yeah. Because there are some health conditions where it can, well, worsen them, but it can also increase your risk of yeah. things like breast cancer. Yeah. Okay. So now that we got that, that out of, out the, of way. the way. Oh, I feel yeah. better. I know. I wish if everybody <laughs> could see us right now, I'm like pretending I'm swimming here. We got that out of the way. And now we're going to move into talking about some of the research. Yeah. And we, of course, like per the usual, we're going to talk about what we do mm-hmm. and then what some of the recommendations are based on the research. And then, of course, you know, what our big takeaways were from after reading yeah. through the research and, and preparing for today's episode. You know, there's one of the, I noticed a big problem with the research when I jumped in. And that is, studies either look at excessive alcohol consumption or they look at like moderate in the terms of one drink per day yeah there's nothing that looks at okay what do two drinks per day do what do three you know right and you raised a good point earlier when we were talking about this ethically you can't give someone alcohol to see how it impacts their depression or anxiety. It's kind of like a pregnant woman. You right. can't give her alcohol to see what effects it has on the baby. Right. Or you can't give it to a teenager whose brain is still developing and see what happens to their adult brain as a result of binge drinking in college. Right. So you're relying on anecdotal self-reporting survey methods. Um, but it is kind of like two extremes, one or the other. And there's not a lot in between. And the other thing when you were saying about self-reporting, and this is anecdotal, so I'm going to give that disclaimer. Oh, but I, I know what you're going to say because I do it too. I do have some friends. Do you ever report it honestly? No. When you go to the doctor? No. Well, well, here's the thing, is that I did once uh, what a happened? long time ago, okay? And, and I just said, like, I had, you know, a drink a day. Uh-huh. Sometimes if we went out to dinner, I had two. Well, I have always been, like, a big advocate of teaching hospitals. And so I went at the time to, like, a general practitioner's practice mm-hmm. that also rotated residents through. Oh, geez. Well, the resident you brought like an in example? his in- attending, and it was, like, a full – like, I felt like they were attempting a mild – intervention with me because they sat me down and they listed all of the negative health effects of drinking excessively and I was like yo I'm no I I, what like what I just told you is I mean some days it's a little more than it's supposed to be but anyway so then of course I go and I you know tell my friends about it two of whom like 
work in the medical field. This was then, and I've done this again. Not I have not I have not had that conversation necessarily with doctors again, but I have had it with friends who are doctors here, and they always they all say the same thing to me. They go, "We just assume that everybody underreports." So yeah. that doctor, when you were honestly reporting, that doctor probably thought that you were underreporting. Oh, you were being honest, and I was being honest. Yeah. So. Going back to the thing where the research does rely on people to report honestly, yeah. I mean, you know that that's that, but that is a problem across nutrition research in general. And now I say we skip to the research part of this okay. because I feel like I am taking us into the weeds. Okay, let's look at kind of what it said. I honestly, I think you've looked into this before when you read an article on yeah. moderate drinking. I really wasn't sure what we were going to find. And I was a little scared about results that I may find. Most of the research on moderate drinking, which typically was one to two drinks per day. And that's how the government defines it. One for women, mm-hmm. two for men mm-hmm. is, is typically moderate drinking. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily translate to how studies are conducted. Yeah. But moderate drinking, um, a lot of the research points to it improving mental wellness. Yeah, that it's actually a mood lifter yeah now get beyond that the benefits go away right yeah it's almost like it's like not that they drew it this way in a study but it's like it's a peak right where it like goes it goes up to see the benefits and then you keep drinking and it's just like you know it 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 jumps back down to having the potential to like worsen depression and anxiety when it's consumed in excess Yeah. And and there's a definite, I mean, one thing that was very clear in the research is excessive consumption or even, you know, significantly more than one to two drinks per day worsens depression, anxiety, pretty much all of your mental health issues or conditions. But when you were looking at moderate, one to two per day, it was pretty positive. You know, and light drinking was also beneficial. And one of the things that that Carolyn and I were saying was really so interesting. Well, interesting, yes, but also nice to read was that a lot of the, a couple of the studies rather, really focused on the quantity of drinks per week. Now, again, we're not advocating for drinking them all like in one day or two days, but because it broke it out that way, you know, sometimes in some research you see stuff like, well, half a glass of wine. Oh, no, I'm not doing a half a glass I of really wine. I really hate, I hate the one drink a day. I would rather have it in a week. Right. Tell me that. That's a lot. For some reason, that's a lot easier to plan or navigate. It's a little bit more freeing. You know, it feels like you get a little bit more control over what you're doing, opposed to, like, sticking to some, like, let me measure out my cup of fruit and vegetables or or my glass of wine. But – when, so when we looked at those studies. I do have a funny story to tell oh, yeah. you tell me, for tell my me. 101 class. Without a doubt, whenever I teach the section on alcohol and we talk about the definition of moderate drinking, one drink per day for a female, two for a male, without a doubt, every single semester, somebody raises their hand and asks if they can save them all up for Friday night. And I have to tell them, no, if you drink. All 14 then, because it's usually a guy that asks this. Not always, but um, the girls are probably thinking it, but it's usually a guy. That negates all the benefits. Right, right. (laughs) But, I mean, I kind of like that they have the, like, guts to ask that question. I wouldn't. At least they're thinking about how to work in moderate drinking. Right. You know they're paying attention when 
They're asking you a question like that. They're not on the phone, their phone, so I'll take that. Right, exactly. They are listening intently. Yeah, so sorry I got you off track. I thought you were going to say something about, like, how many shots counts as a drink or something like that. Oh. Yeah, which, I mean, is basically equal to I can try I to kind of wrap up the discussion after when they ask that question, or you can get into a lot of right sticky sticky stuff. sticky questions yeah. yeah okay so back to the number of drinks per week that we had seen in the research there were two studies that we that, you know that we really liked and when i say liked i mean like they they quantified everything very nicely yeah we didn't I think it's important to note, we didn't like them just because the results were good. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Like, they quantified the results. They had, you know, they had a, a good, like, good methodology. They had a good size of people involved in the study. So when we say we liked them, like, we were looking at them from, like, a nutrition research kind of standpoint. One of them, and I'm going to defer to Carolyn a little bit on this one because I know that she she dug into the different elements of it, but they looked at cognitive function which inclu- and included mental status in it. But what they found was that there was a very specific turning point, right, for alcohol consumption and cognitive function, meaning like it was beneficial up until this point and then beyond that there was a big, a, a big decline. And, and the range was 10 to 14 drinks a week. Yeah. This was really interesting. I really liked how they did this. It was on the American Medical Association. It was in the Journal of Neurology um, and shared um, in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Yeah. You know what I mean. And it was in, from 2020. So pretty recent. And new. I really liked how they did that because I've gotten questions from friends before and said, okay, I know what moderation is defined, but Carolyn – how much can I really have? Like two and a half drinks, three drinks, that kind of thing. So I liked that they, the way that they looked at this. They looked at um, a group of individuals, a fairly large group of individuals, about almost 20,000. And they looked at their cognitive function from 1996 to 2008. So they, che- they, they checked on them and they added some new people as they went. But they followed their cognitive function. And within their cognitive function, they looked at, let me find it. Let's see. They looked at their total cognition. They looked at their mental status, their word recall, and their vocabulary. What they found is that alcohol had a U-shaped curve and that up until a certain point, there was a positive association with cognitive Function. So what that means is the association of low to moderate drinking, they found an association of low to moderate drinking with higher cognitive function. Low to moderate drinking is good for your brain function, for your vocabulary, your word recall, your mental status. They also defined a turning point, a turning point at which that you made that <laughs> Down. U-turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you down. Where you were doing great, and then all of a sudden, whoop, And I like so this because I've never seen a study that did this. So then they looked at it in weekly drinks, which I liked as well. Okay, so here are the turning points that they identified. 12 drinks was the turning point for total cognition scores. Once you passed or once you had 12 drinks a week, then you made that U-turn and total cognition took a decline with alcohol. Mental status, the turning point was 13 drinks. 
Okay. Okay. So that's one more. Yeah. And then just word recall was 10 drinks. Vocabulary was 14 drinks. They found that the strongest association with better cognitive function, which included mental status, was a dosage of dosage. Can they call it that? <laughs> of 10 to 14 drinks per week. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to the one to two a day. Right. But I just like how they frame it in drinks per week. And I, I feel like this is a little more, not liberating, but it's easier to plan your alcohol intake when you look at it from a weekly perspective. And this isn't, this is still drinking. Right. Like this doesn't mean... It you know. gives you flexibility yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't leave you in a position necessarily where you have to like, you know, be be drawn a little marker on your wine glass or you yeah. know, your your pint of beer or whatever. The other thing too that I was just quickly looking at is that this was in um men and women. It yeah. was in it was just in adults. So, you know, that's the other thing too is like when you think about, you know, the government typically says one drink a day for women and two for men. Now, we're not saying that you should be going above that. I want to be clear on that part. But it was interesting that it was in men and women, and they looked and they they came to the conclusion yeah. of that range of 10 to 14. So 10 to 14 drinks, do you think then maybe, yeah, we're just guessing here, but like 10 drinks would be more for a female and 14 would be more for a male? Yes, yes. Okay. That's uh, what I'm yeah. thinking too. And I think that too because when you look at some of the other health benefits and the other health risks with drinking, that, you know, women's risk of other conditions, and well, men too, but like when we go above one drink a day, you know, we, we are raising our risk. Yeah. I think it's also important to point out in, in all of these studies on moderate drinking, they did um, take out any individuals that had a history with alcohol dependence or alcohol abuse, or they tried to in, right. the, in the survey. Right. There was another study about wine consum- consumption specifically and looking at the development of depression. And it took data from a larger study called the, how do you say it? PrediMed? PrediMed, Yeah. yeah. And it looked at um, a little over 5,000 individuals. And what they found is that wine consumption in the range of two to seven drinks per week was significantly associated with lower rates of depression. So that is lighter drinking than the other one. That's 10 to 14 drinks a week. Also, though, I think that it's important to to highlight that the PrediMed study is a, a larger study that they've not just looked at alcohol, yeah. they've looked at other health outcomes, and it is based on, you know, eating the Mediterranean way, or yes. people that are following a, a Mediterranean lifestyle slash dietary pattern. So I thought, what I thought was so interesting about that is that like, well, that would make sense, the seven, you know, seven mm-hmm. drinks a week in that like typical, what we think of as the Mediterranean diet, right? Now, I want to be really clear, like, we are extrapolating study results here, but, like, I think it's interesting that it was in the light drinking category they saw benefit when also, in theory, the people that are in this population are eating the Mediterranean way, which we've already talked about is good for mental health. This other study, the one that was published in, in JAMA, talked about, or sorry, didn't talk about diet, it just looked at these folks, and not that this PrediMed study did talk about diet, but I just know that it... That particular study is done in people who are eating the Mediterranean way. Mm-hmm. I do want to note in that study, though, that 
higher drinking was associated with a higher risk of depression. So, Which is so interesting. Well, but that's kind of what we saw overall in the research. Right. So up until a point, you may have some positive benefits. Again, we're not advocating starting if you don't. But it, it, for those of us who like a glass of wine, this is, this is nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was another study, too, in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at moderate alcohol. They actually found... Oh, this one was the one in the nurse in, that pulled from the nurse's health study? Uh-huh. They actually found that um, women who consumed up to one drink per day had consistently better cognitive function, which is they've grouped mental status in there, than non-drinkers. Now, again, we're not saying to start drinking, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So... Now knowing, right, that like some light to moderate drinking, the research is in support of it, and especially like great like way to train, I feel like right now, great way to transition like these studies, this particular study that was in women that found the comparison of, you know, moderate drinking to no drinking at all. Um, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording about kind of like the why, like why is drinking why beneficial? Why are we seeing this benefit? And like, what is it about alcohol that is, you know, beneficial? It's one of the reasons is um, they think alcohol mimics GABA's effect in the brain. Now, GABA is a neurotransmitter that we have not talked about, and Briarly. Can you give us, I know, is it correct to say that low levels of GABA are associated with anxiety and depression? Yes. So individuals with low levels of GABA, they've associated that with a risk of depression, or you're more likely to have anxiety or depression. Yes, anxiety or mood disorders. Yeah. Um, But alcohol, so it mimics GABA, binding to GABA receptors, and it releases this triggers the release of certain inhibitors like dopamine and serotonin so consumption of even a small amount of alcohol increases the amount of dopamine in the brain so that may trigger a little feel-good euphoria kind of feeling but I do want to note this is also that dopamine um, increase is what's also associated with our reward centers so continuing that consumption is also what one of the things that plays into, um, you know, alcohol abuse or, you know, your brain gets, wants more because it gets that reward. It gets that dopamine and it feels good and feels better. Got it. Got it. But you were also saying earlier that, you know, GABA also has that like calming or relaxing effect. And so, you know, that is another element if if alcohol is mimicking that. I've heard of people taking GABA supplements, and it's one that I've always meant to look into, taking GABA supplements specifically for mental wellness, and maybe that's something we need to look into. Yeah, we should totally look into that, because I didn't realize that it was even a supplement. Everything's a supplement. That's true. I should know better. (laughs) I really should. Okay, but the other reason why we've seen some benefits or beneficial um, effects from moderate drinking I really love this other reason. I know. And you know what was cool? Is we saw it 
in multiple different studies. Like, yeah. I feel like we saw it in one study and we were like, oh, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden we saw it repeated a couple of times. Yes. Okay. You want to share that? Yeah. So the, the other potential benefit of alcohol consumption is the social interaction that you get from it. So, um, well, not the social interaction that you necessarily get from alcohol, although it can, um, you know, be a, a little bit of a lubricant there in that in, in the social what That's is a good way to put it you know it, but but a social lubricant is what one research study described it but I think what you're saying is and I looked at a study with older adults is that typically when people consume alcohol it's with other people and so right. you get that social engagement and maybe that social engagement is really where the beneficial effects are coming from right like it's playing a role in it yeah the social engagement is playing a role in the mental wellness benefits of consuming alcohol. Yeah. Particularly when it's in moderation or, you know, low yeah. consumption. There, this study um, suggested that moderate alcohol consumption later in life was associated with fewer depressive symptoms and greater functional cognitive ability. And they felt or through analysis they felt that the main contributor to that was the social interaction I love that which I just think is so cool because you know that's another thing when you go to the doctor right they ask you how much you drink and then do you drink or do you drink socially like they kind of do drill down sometimes in that in depending sometimes. on the sometimes not always but sometimes in the questionnaire yeah like more recently I've seen them where they ask like do you drink socially? Do you drink alone? Oh, that's really good. I'm trying to remember where I was that recently asked that. So I wonder if you would see the beneficial effects. I wouldn't think you would see them as much if you drank alone. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I personally, like anecdotally, I totally get that thing. Like you go out, you get to see people, you have a drink or two. You walk over to your neighbor's porch. Exactly. (laughs) You chit chat. And then, you know, maybe you go home and you, get you know cuddle up on the couch and then you go to bed yeah. I, I don't know or you you know you, you do whatever but yeah that's but. now that it's been pointed out to me I almost wonder if it's more the social interaction yeah when you look at alcohol consumption and mental health mm-hmm. in general right so we've just talked a lot about cognitive function and depression mm-hmm. but then there's the there's anxiety which you know when we were preparing for this episode I you know I kind of more you know as we got closer to to actually recording I was like oh my gosh wait hold on I gotta look into anxiety yeah and I wanted to look into anxiety because I know for me personally that when I have a little bit too much that and I and I'm you know in one of those you know periods in life where I'm more anxious it makes it worse the next day oh wow yeah and so you know, like, especially when I was going through my divorce, if I would, you know, if I would have too many drinks with friends or, you know, if he and I would go out or whatever. Which is easy to do when you're going through yeah. a major Yes, change. exactly. And, you know, and I will admit that I've gone through periods of life where I've, I've probably turned to, you know, wine and beer a little bit more than I should. And, you know, and going back to the awareness, then, you know, mm-hmm. dialing it back in. But... I would notice that when I was in one of those, especially when I was going through my divorce, when I was pretty anxious uh, more often than I was not, that 
I would wake up the next morning and that whole day, I mean, it was like, there were sometimes entire days where I just couldn't rein it in. I couldn't rein in my anxiety. And, you know, it was, for me, it was always correlated with that, you know, how much I had consumed the day before. Again, I think it goes back to the awareness. I think that's for people who may have some anxiety. I think that's a good thing to share. And we there weren't really the beneficial effects Um, moderate drinking didn't have these beneficial effects when you looked at anxiety it was with cognitive function mental status and depression really that you got the beneficial effects with anxiety it was a little different right and and interestingly well I thought it was an interesting statistic that was in it was in a more recent journal article I can't behavior therapy it was a review study, and I'm oh. trying to find the... Oh, the, I don't have that study. We can put it in the show notes. But anyway, one of the things that they said was that when they looked at, like, the the major epidemiological studies, and just to refresh, like, epidemiological studies are, like, big, big population studies. So when they looked at, like, studies of a lot of people, people who met the diagnostic criteria for either alcohol dependence... Oh, sorry, no, just for alcohol dependence, doubled among individuals with an anxiety disorder compared to those with no anxiety disorder. So in this one particular study, it was a review study, um, and we can put in the show notes when it was published because I can't I can't see it in my notes right now, but they looked at some major epidemiological studies. And just as a refresher, an epidemiological study is a study of a large population of people. So basically they looked at multiple studies of lots and lots of people. And what they what they reported in this study was that the risk for meeting diagnostic criteria for alcohol dependence more than doubled among individuals with an anxiety disorder compared to those with no anxiety disorder, aka people with an anxiety disorder were much are at higher risk are at higher risk of having. Of me, of having an alcohol depend a dependency on alcohol, and like is probably because they might use it as a coping mechanism. Yeah, for their yeah. anxiety. Because in the short term, yeah, it does it it reduces the feelings of anxiety. And and when I started looking at specifically at anxiety and alcoholism, or not alcoholism, but alcohol use, it was almost like I kept seeing the two were in tandem and that they weren't saying that one caused the other necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they just kept, they, they have a tendency to appear together. That's interesting. And again, that's good to know if you suffer from anxiety, just to be aware of that, you know, you're maybe at a little bit higher risk for, you know, developing more of a dependency on alcohol. Right. Maybe as a coping mechanism. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But there was, wasn't there another study that, again, brought in the social engagement? So we found out that alcohol is technically, uh, what is it, Carolyn? Oh, I'm not going to be able to say this. We think it's anxiolytic. We think it's anxiolytic. But if you put your southern accent on it. Anxiolytic. There you go. It doesn't matter. It sounds great. Um, basically, alcohol helps reduce it, Yeah, there's anxiety. a short-term benefit mm-hmm. in that it reduces anxiety. Yeah. 
And this is the study that referred to, they said consumption may act as a social lubricant that facilitates higher quality social interactions. It suggested that this moderate amount, definitely not going beyond this if you have anxiety, but this moderate amount may aid in that social interaction, reduce your anxiety just enough to engage in social interaction and may actually be beneficial. Yeah, that I now I don't have the exact study in front of me, so I can't remember the exact measures, but it was something like they looked at anxiety, people who had social anxiety that didn't drink, and then people that had social anxiety that did drink. And what they found was that people who had social anxiety that didn't drink didn't score very well on the benefits of a social interaction, but people who did drink scored better on the benefits of social interaction. So it kind of goes back to that, like, it tempered their social anxiety just enough for them to get some, you know, enjoyment out of interacting with people and not just being extremely anxious. Which I get. Like, in the corner. I mean, I've been at a party before, and the first thing I want to do is grab a drink because I don't know anybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, like, imagine that, you know, if you are anxious, like, you might go, you might talk to a couple of people, it feels very uncomfortable, and then you're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. I did my 10 minutes, I saw the the host and hostess, and I'm gone. Yeah. And then if you have a little social anxiety and, you know, you get that anxiolytic, see how I use that word, that you then might socialize a little longer and that then I feel like goes back to what we were saying about, even though this is anxiety, what we were saying previously about depressive symptoms and depression, that mm-hmm. it just, there is a, a potential benefit there. Yeah. And they do say more research is needed to determine the threshold at which it becomes problematic for anxiety. I think it's just good to point out that just to be aware if you do suffer from anxiety, just to be careful, especially with that, you know, crossing from moderate to drink moderate drinking into a little bit more and you know this is not saying definitely not saying to use drinking as a coping mechanism for or as a treatment method for anxiety or social anxiety at all right but I did think it was interesting again that it went back to the social interaction yeah and that having a little bit of alcohol reduced the anxiety just enough so people could really engage and get the social interaction they needed right Right. And, you know, this is kind of when I wish that we had Dr. Andrea Hendricks on here to talk about, like, if you have social anxiety, like, does, you know, that repeated contact help in the long term or not? Because I don't, you know, I don't know about that. And so I don't, I want to be clear and say, like, please don't put yourself in a socially anxious situation and just perpetuate, you know, alcohol to alcohol consumption. But yeah, I could see how you might become almost dependent on it in a social situation. Yeah. In a yeah. way. And also, like you were saying about that tipping point, yeah. I, you know, again, this is anecdotal, but about that whole tipping point is that I, I do, I have a friend you, actually who like if she, she doesn't get socially anxious, but if she, she does have some anxiety and if she is out and has a little bit too much, I mean, she'll call me the next day and she will have gotten herself in a tizzy over like, was I embarrassing? Did I say something? Was I inappropriate? You know, and so there's also that element too, right? 
Well, the one thing, I haven't necessarily seen an increase in um, anxiety, but the thing that I have noticed, a negative effect for me with drinking alcohol, is it impacts my quality of sleep. Yes. And I really didn't want to admit that one, two, two drinks had any effect on my sleep. You know, it seems it seems to make you go to sleep a little easier at night, but the reality is even one alcoholic drink has an impact on your sleep. You may fall asleep a little easier, but later during that deep, when you're supposed to be getting that deep sleep, you're restless. Your body's restless. You aren't getting all the deep sleep that you need. And so the quality of sleep is affected even with one drink. That is that is the hard part. And we, we do get into this in a future episode with an awesome guest, just to plug a future episode, about sleep and sleep yeah. quality and duration and mental wellness. Yeah. I, and sleep so impacks my Oh, wellness. Or at least, me too. At least on the in the short term, but probably overall. I mean, I can take a semi bad day, not a really bad day, but like a semi bad day, mm-hmm. and take a nap, and mm-hmm. I can wake up and it is like the rest of the day is so much better. Yeah. Well, I never really prioritized sleep. I probably prioritized eating, you know, a healthy diet and exercise. Those were kind of my two focus areas for good health. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I guess it's getting into my early 40s. But I almost prioritize sleep over exercise and diet. I mean, me too. Because, well, me for too. me, I didn't when I was younger. No, for me, everything revolves around sleep. If I don't get that sleep, then the good, the healthy eating and the exercise isn't what it should be. Well, and for me also, if I don't, if I don't get good sleep, then it actually also impacts what and how much I choose to maybe drink if Mm. it's a night where I'm going to have some drinks. Interesting. Yeah, because for me, I think it's like I I know that I'm going to get that a little bit of that like relaxation and mood lifting. Mm -hmm. And so like, oh, maybe I'll start a little earlier because it's been a bad day and I'm really tired. And that kind of counteracts because that makes you not get a great night of sleep Mm -hmm. the next one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. so what are recommendations based on this research um, for protecting your mental wellness if you choose to to drink? And let's start with the number of drinks. And I, I think based on the research, it seems to be seven. I think we saw seven, a range of seven to fourteen. Yes, a week. Yes, which I really like the week. Looking at it from a week, so seven to fourteen. And honestly, if you look at that, if you break that down, that comes down to the government recommendation of one to two drinks per day. Exactly. Yeah, and I would say men are probably on that upper end of, of fourteen. And if you tend to be a lighter drinker, you know, even just like that one study said, two drinks oh, a yeah. week could could yield oh, yeah. some benefit. Don't feel so, like you need to hit seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, or if you know, maybe you're doing like. Remember we were joking in January where you were doing a dry January and uh-huh. then you had a couple days where you were like, you know what, I'm going out with my friends and I just don't want to miss out on this cocktail menu. I needed the social interaction. Exactly. From mental wellness. And you were like, well, it turned out to be a damp January, which I like, I loved that phrase. Yeah. I had a damp January. And so if someone has a 
damp January, February, March, whatever, like you could still get, you know, some mood boosting benefits. And, and I think so the recommendations, like you said, it seems like that range of seven to 14 people try and pair it with a social interaction. Yeah. I, I think definitely what we've seen is you benefit, most likely you benefit the most if you're with somebody or with people. And I would say they didn't say this in the study because obviously the study was like pre-COVID. But I mean, I do feel like a little FaceTime interaction counts. Yeah. Or Skype. I mean, in person, yes. It's better than nothing. But I would say that is better than nothing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing we haven't covered yet when we talk about recommendations is we haven't talked about antidepressants and yeah. drinking. And so generally the recommendation is not to combine the two. But I don't want to go into this too deep because Mm-mm. we're not pharmacists, no. nor are we doctors who prescribe antidepressants. But there are some antidepressants where it's like really not good to drink alcohol. And then there are others where it's kind of like, meh, at least from what yeah. I've read. Yeah. So talk to your doctor, talk yeah. to your pharmacist. But yeah. then honestly- There is a whole class, MAOI inhibitors, I believe. And if you take one of these, you probably know because- you you've seen the warning on the label but that you really don't want to pair with alcohol that can really be dangerous yes like Um, some of your ssris some of your more common ones that you that are prescribed it's they haven't been able to identify specific negative effects but i think just to be safe they say definitely don't drink and um or don't drink and then drive on this medication and probably best not to drink just we don't really know. Right. I think it, a lot of it probably comes down to not knowing. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, they there's that tipping point of drinking alcohol and worsening your mental mm-hmm. state. You know, I was reading something about how it was saying that sometimes if your antidepressants have like drowsy or dizzy side effects, mm-hmm. consuming alcohol can heighten that. Yeah. So, of course. Yeah. But, but that said, also, let's everybody remember that if you are taking an antidepressant, they are never one that you need to halt taking immediately. Like, so don't yeah. stop don't taking them in favor of having a drink. Don't like, quit for a day because you want to drink. Right. Be consistent. And, okay. Well, I have to also get on the inflammation connection since inflammation, since depression, um, and a lot of your mental health issues are driven or made worse by chronic inflammation in the body. So when you do drink, research doesn't suggest that liquor, beer, or wine is better than the other. Wine has gotten a lot of attention because of the phytochemicals in it. But generally, last time I looked, one is not necessarily more beneficial than the other. But what you do need to pay attention to is what else is in it. You want to avoid excess calories, excess sugar, because those are going to fuel any existing inflammation that you may have and potentially could worsen existing mental health issues. And, you know, when I looked into inflammation and alcohol when I was writing Meals That Heal, moderate drinking has a slight anti-inflammatory effect. But once you pass that, you negate all those effects. And it starts having a negative effect. It starts yeah. causing or, you know, worsening fueling. inflammation. Fueling the yeah, inflammation. Yeah, fueling the inflammation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, again, because that comes back to potentially excess sugar, excess calories. Not saying that that's all that it is, but, like, you're also compounding the effects of excess yeah. alcohol with excess calories and excess You know sugar. what? It kind of all goes back to, and I, I know people hate it when we say it, 
because I kind of hate, I hate saying it. I hate hearing it, but it all goes back to everything in moderation. Yeah. It really does. It does. And but I know people get sick of dietitians saying that. I know. I know. But it, you know, like Les came out today and, you know, Les, we need a job description or a job title for you, but, but Les sits here in the studio with us and makes sure that our mics sound good and, you know, I don't know. He gives us a little personal therapy. But anyway, he was saying balance, right? You guys yeah. always talk about balance. It really is. And, it, you know, sometimes you feel like just kind of like, wah, wah, same stuff, different day. But it is about balance. And I, I guess you just have to be careful because if you're kind of struggling with your mental wellness, it's already harder to find some balance usually right. in your life. And right. so sometimes adding alcohol to that may get you even more balance okay so let's start to wrap up what are we doing I know and that's that's really what we talk about right (laughs) this is our mom truth moment like so yeah I'm put you on the spot what are you doing well I will say looking at all this information has really just made me look at my own drinking now how much of that will change I'm not sure quite yet I mean I'm not a heavy drinker at all I do um, like to have a few drinks several nights a week but I'm always socializing but if anything it has given me a good or it's just reminded me to be aware of why I'm doing it why am I doing it am I using it for coping is I'm using it to numb something you know just being more aware and I think as I become as I focus on that now that that's in my head more that may influence some of my some of my drinking habits I think it's one of the things that you hear people talk about is kind of the whole mommy needs wine, not movement. But, you know, it's kind of like that trend. Yeah, it's almost like it's normalized drinking in order to deal with the stress of parenthood. Yeah. And I don't think that's really healthy. So, but, you know, I'll be honest, I fell into that a little during COVID. I mean, I've absolutely had those moments for sure, but I also think there's that element like, and uh, you know, I'm sure someone's going to tell me that I'm insensitive when I say this, but I think there's that element when I channel some of the people that I know that don't drink, there's that element of like, ooh, can that mom still fit in because she's not a like mom who needs wine or... Yeah, I hate that. Like, and, And that's the part where I'm like, you know, let's just... Let's be all inclusive and well, wine should not be something you have to have to be a mom. No, uh, no. Right? But also, parenting doesn't have to be amazing, you know. Right. So I think it's maybe what I'm getting at is we are definitely not promoting kind of the mommy needs wine. We're promoting we've awareness. Done it. We're promoting awareness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finding a healthy balance. Um, I will say when I did my damp January, and I'd forgotten I called it that. <laughs> When I did my damp January, I noticed something interesting. On a lot of days, well, when I, so I wasn't, I was not drinking for a while there in January. And so I'd come home and make a, like, mocktail and sit down and go through the mail and, you know, do kind of my chilling out routine when I get home from work. Or I wasn't getting home from work, but I was pretending like I was getting home from work, trying to mimic it. And I found that it was hard to not pour a glass of wine, but... If I sat there and did my kind of chilled out with my mocktail, and I didn't usually want the wine, I was good. And I realized it was it, sometimes it's more about the ritual for me. Like, yeah, it ends the day. It 
chills you out. You know, and I think for like kind of high strung people or anxious people, like it's tempting to use like one a glass of wine to chill themselves out a little. Yeah. Relax. I, I totally agree. I have a friend who wanted to get out of the habit of pouring herself a glass of wine while she was making dinner. And so she switched to kombucha. And she said to me, she's like, it, and she just picked it because it felt different and, you know, yeah. delicious. And I kind of like that idea. Yeah. And she buys a local brand that, you know, is a, is a bottle, you know, you buy it by the bottle. So it yeah. feels indulgent, right? Because, yeah. you know, you buy like six or seven of them at a time or whatever. And, um, she said she noticed the same thing, that for her it was really just about the ritual. Yeah. Then, of course, I reminded her that there's probably some caffeine in there because it was brewed with tea, and she was like, oh, that's why I really had to up my melatonin. But point being is she no- she, it, she became more aware. Yeah. The other thing I've, thing I've noticed, and somebody said this in passing several years ago, but I've really noticed it, is the second glass is never as good as the first. So true. And it's, it's it's true with coffee. It's true with alcohol. It really is true. It That second, third drink is never as good as the first. No. No. You're so right. I, I would say, like last night, for example, I... Confess. You're going to laugh. So, well, I, you know, I came home and started preparing dinner, and then I got obsessed with when I'm stressed out I really like to clean my house wow I wish I did I mean I don't like to like scrub the toilets I like to like run the vacuum and yell at everybody for not taking their shoes off the door kind of thing like put the laundry up instead of leaving it on my couch folded so I started you know vacuuming and I put I you know I drank like half of my beer and then I started vacuuming while the kids (laughs) ate their dinner and I just um and I, I put the beer down and when I finally finished, because then, of course, it was like transition into kids' showers, you know, homework, et cetera. Well, my beer was warm. Yeah. So I dumped it out. Yeah. And I, I really don't like a, a warm beer. And I wasn't going to put it in the fridge and wait for a bazillion years for it to get yeah. cold. So I dumped it out. And then I got the girls in bed. And I put up some more laundry. And then I went to sit down. And I was like, oh, I'm going to open an, another another beer. Carolyn, I had two sips of it, and I was like, I'm just not in the mood for this. Yeah. And then I kind of, like, looked at the open wine bottle that I had that I'd had, like, one glass out of earlier this week, and I was like, you know, that doesn't sound appealing either. Yeah. So I just I think scrolled on my phone instead, which maybe wasn't the best. But it was, like, one of those where I was like, you know what? I got past that hump of the, like, ritual element of it, and then I was like, eh interested anymore and I think that maybe maybe a takeaway I didn't realize that I may take away from this is in addition to awareness is you know do I really want that second drink a lot of times I probably truly don't yeah but it's there or you're in a group or you can't waste the wine because it don't go bad yes yeah yes for sure when Madeline had COVID um (laughs) I jokingly said I needed to drink a little wine every night in case I lost my sense of taste. <laughs> I mean, that is fair because but, yeah, when I lost definitely my an excuse sense yeah. of smell and taste, and it started to come back, and I tried to, I tried a glass of red wine, and I was like, I literally looked at the bottle, and I was like, Am I drinking vinegar? Like it was terrible. Oh uh, yeah. How might this change things for you? Darn, I thought I was going to get to escape that question. Um, and it's okay. If- I mean, you, you know that you know that I do love like 
a glass of wine or, well, red wine especially, or like a, you know, a really awesome beer. But for me, it definitely has been about like awareness. And there's also been a sense of like not having as much guilt when I do indulge. Mm. And that's been more recent for me, I think because I've become more aware. Like I'm like, okay, like I just want to enjoy this for what it is instead of just like and savor it like going back to that like the first glass or the first you know can or whatever there was a golf tournament this weekend I didn't play I was just hanging out and um you know and and it was four o'clock and I had a beer with some some girlfriends sitting outside and I didn't feel guilty about it and ordinarily I would and I didn't and then you know when we went to dinner I had a couple glasses of water and then I had a glass of wine and that was it. I was done for the day. Opposed to like starting at four o'clock. So like the the comparison that I worry about is like, oh my gosh, if I start at four o'clock, it's just going to go and go and go until dinner's over. Yeah. You know, and and so that was where the guilt would come in. That was a very mature decision of you. I'm a big girl now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So once again, we're talking about casual, moderate drinking. Um, among people who do not have a personal or family history of abuse or dependency. And again, we are not advocating for someone to start drinking if they don't drink. But hopefully people feel a little better if they do want to drink and maybe they're more mindful going forward. Just being aware of your mental wellness when you're drinking. And how it might impact your mental wellness in general. Like, does it impact your sleep? Does it make you more anxious? Like, what, you know... Watch your sleep. Watch your anxiety the next day. Yeah. Are you like a little bit more down the next day? I think that that's, you know, that's really important. But also if if planning to like have a drink with some friends or neighbors or whatever, you know, if if that's how you can get some social interaction, like by all means. And you enjoy that. Yeah. Plan around that. Awesome. Well, this has been very educational. Yeah. It's been one of our deeper episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we will see y'all next week. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. We support enjoying life and the responsible consumption of alcoholic beverages. We believe people should always use good common sense around drinking and should act responsibly. We do not support underage drinking, excessive drinking, binge drinking, or any other unsafe drinking behavior. Always drink responsibly. If you're concerned that you may have issues with your alcohol consumption or a dependency, you can find treatment specialists as well as educational information at alcoholrehabguide.org. Alcoholics Anonymous is another option that offers peer support with the shared goal of getting or remaining sober. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. 
If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.